Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earl. Hey, we're here today with DJ Vanus talking about how to help our teenagers succeed by channeling their inner warrior. DJ is a powerhouse speaker for Fortune 500 companies, hundreds of tribal nations, and over 7,000 audiences nationwide. He's even spoken at the White House. DJ has found that the tribal principles of the early Native American cultures can be applied today in our families, in our lives, in our professions, and in our organizations. His ideas have been picked up by companies like Intel, PNG, Subaru, Accenture, Walt Disney, and even NASA. He is also the author of the new book, The Warrior Within. We're going to be speaking with DJ today about how we as parents can use our inner warrior to better serve our children, our families, and our communities, and how we can help our kids to tap into their own inner warrior. We're going to look at the two things we often get wrong as parents when we try to give time to our kids and loved ones. We're going to look at the two different types of pain, why one can be helpful and the other can be harmful, and what to do if you're experiencing either type. We're going to dig into some creative tips for having deeper conversations when we find ourselves just having the same service level conversations over and over again, what can we do? We're going to look at accountability and how we can all get more of it. And we're going to talk about an idea called circular mentorship, which I think is really cool. We're going to look at what that means, what it looks like, and how to do it. All that and more is coming up on the show today. DJ, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Welcome to Talking to Teens. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. You have written this book, The Warrior Within. It's really got a lot of tips about how to tap into your inner warrior. And I think in a lot of ways that we need that and our kids need that today. I'm really curious what got you interested and excited about this topic and why you decided to write this book. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, great question. I'm originally from Michigan. I'm a tribally enrolled member of the Ottawa Nation. And so when I talk about the term warrior, I mean it from a tribal-centric type of viewpoint. And the way that we see our warriors, we call a warrior Ogichida in my tribe. And that term has nothing to do with what we see on TV or in movies. It's not that, you know, sweaty, chiseled figure walking down the street and knocking over, you know, buildings with bazookas and knocking down bad guys. It's a role that was much more focused on service. It was about taking your creator-given talent and ability and developing that over a lifetime so that you can actually be an asset or a benefit to the tribe that you served. So it was a role that was about you know, leadership by example, fighting for something bigger than your own personal welfare. It was about making it a contribution. And it was asking the question, not what can I get, but what can I do for the people in my life? 
And so that's that whole warrior concept that I unpack in the book. And that warrior spirit behind that role means that we have resiliency, we have drive, dedication, we have love for the people we're fighting for, you know, that we're trying to contribute to every day. You know, that aspect of it too, and especially for teenagers. I mean, my gosh, that is so needed in the world. They live in a tough world. You know, things are moving faster and faster. Information overload is normal. So it's really important that they really learn to listen, not just to what's going on up here, but what's going on down here. You know, that internal gut feel of what's important to them, what they're passionate about and what direction they want to take. That's so cool. I mean, the world has changed so much in the last, however, couple hundred years. And I think people in your tribe are now becoming warriors in like a totally different environment than it was, you know? And so I wonder how have things changed in terms of like what the way you guys think about becoming a warrior and, you know, what goes into that. And then also what hasn't changed and what has kind of stayed the same since as far back as you can remember. Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, things definitely have changed. And the traditional way to become a warrior has also changed as well. You know, there were rites of passage. There were, you know, your first raid, your first hunt. You had these thresholds to meet. And now that may have changed. I mean, we still have ceremonies. Those are, you know, special to our people, sacred. I mean, it makes us who we are. But the traditional role of a warrior has also changed too. What stays the same is the purpose, which is, Again, contributing to your tribe, defending and protecting your people, not your ego. That part has not changed, but the way that we do it is different. So now, you know, warriors don't necessarily fight, you know, with this anymore, but there's still battles, you know, for our community, for our health and wellness, for developing and growing communities. But the way that it's done is different. It's done through education. It's done through activism. It's done through voting. It's done through negotiating with different organizations to make sure that we get what we need. So that part has changed too, but the original purpose to be of service to others has stayed the same. One way that we can be of service is by giving time. And you talked in your book about how to give the gift of time, but with the key of being present and doing it willingly. So what do you mean by that? And how can we do that as parents give time more effectively to, you know, our teenagers or people in our family and our community? I love this question. I got to tell you straight out of the gate, given our time is so critically important because it's the most precious thing we can give someone else. It's also the most precious thing we can give ourselves. Time is non-renewable. We don't get to gather more. We don't know how much we have. So it's not just important. It's absolutely critical we put it towards the right things and not towards everything. And when it comes to giving our time, you know, what I mentioned in the book, you know, we have to be, if we want to give our time in the best way, we have to be present when we give it, which means we are fully there mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, we're not just present physically, but in all the other ways too, because that's where we kind of cheat. It's like, well, I'm standing totally. in front of that person. It's <laughs> yeah. like, no, but are you present? That's why sometimes people get frustrated talking to other people or talking to their teens where they don't feel like they're connecting but they're checking email, eating a sandwich, listening to earbuds, doing 57 other things and wonder why they don't connect. Now, what are you talking about? We do so much stuff together. That's right. Yeah, we do. We did this and we did that. And I drove you to that thing. And we, But we didn't do any of them like completely. And yeah, there's a big difference. You can feel it. Yeah. Being present means I am there for you in this moment. 
and I am fully aware of what's going on, that you're in front of me and I'm listening. We don't need uh, long chunks of time to make that really, really powerful and impactful. Uh, it could be 10 seconds, 30 seconds, but to be fully present is honoring the person that you're with. And then the second one is to be willing. And we all can spot a fake, uh, right? I mean, we know when somebody gives us their time, but you know, they didn't want to do it. Okay. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or they do it with anger, almost like with an attitude of now you owe me. And that totally violates a good give of our time. Uh, when we do that. So we have to do it willingly. People can feel the difference. We can feel the difference when it's done the right way. We talk a lot on the show about values and I think values are so important. You have an interesting distinction in your book. You talk about the connection between values and vision. Why do you differentiate between those and how do they connect? Yeah. Great question. Again, values and vision are totally interconnected in the fact that when we know our values, that's kind of like the bricks and the vision is what we build with the bricks. That's the life that we want, the snapshot of a good life. When we know our values, when we know what is important to us values wise, like love, integrity, service, whatever those things may be, then we know what a snapshot of our good life looks like. We know what to say yes to, and we know what to say no to. Because if we do something that violates our value, then we know that that's an easy answer to just say, no, this is not, you know, if one of your values is integrity, then when you have a chance to do something that's blatantly dishonest, that's an easy one to go. Nope, that's not in alignment with who I am, who I choose to be. Once we know what our values are, we have clarity in a chaotic world, which is a gift we give to ourselves. And then we can start building on those values and build that career that family, that life, whatever we're trying to create in this world based on that. It gives us, you know, a sense of what direction to go in. You know, if you have a, for instance, a value of service, that's one of my strong values. That's why I do the work that I do. You know, the work that I do now as a speaker, as a writer is in perfect alignment with that value for me. And so this feels like this is what I was meant to do. And this is what I choose to do. Just the vision come from? Maybe you have an idea what your values are, but wow, developing a vision for your life it seems so difficult, especially when there's so many directions you could go and so many things you could do. How do you start to refine that? That's a huge challenge. We live in a world, there's a million billion things we can do, right? Which one is the right one for us? Yeah, we always feel like we're not doing enough or not <laughs> right. Yeah, doing the right thing or yeah. Or working on the right thing. And we live in a world of distraction. First of all, let's just be honest about that. Totally. Yeah. But when we create that vision, it's really getting to the heart of asking those really scary questions, you know, like, what do I want? How do I want my life to look? What do I want to create in this world before I draw my last breath? Yeah. What do I want to contribute? How do I want to be remembered? I mean, we get to ask these questions and that goes into this vision of what we want to work on and create. And I say it's scary because to actually admit that I want to become an artist or I want to become a computer programmer, or I want to build a company that, you know, like Tom's shoes, where you buy a pair of shoes and they give a pair away. Like that came from somebody's vision, you know, to create that into reality. And the thing is we're great at it as kids and we learn to really stink at it as we get older. And it starts in the teenage years, by the way, yeah. where, you know, you ask a little kid, you know, what do you want to do with your life? 
this gift that you've been given, you can't get them to be quiet. They yeah. want to do everything. Yeah, yeah, they want right. to be a teacher, an astronaut, a ballerina, a Power Ranger, a Marvel's Avenger. And they're excited. And we all were. A fire truck. That was my goal. You read that in the book. Yeah. <laughs> my goal at four years old was a fire truck. So luckily our goals change over time, thankfully, but we're not short on answers. And then you start, you know, going to school, you start getting told no, and we start getting judged. Mm. We start getting criticized. You know, that idea is dumb. Nobody's ever going to, you know, you're not going to do that. Nobody in your family, you can't, that's impossible. And we start doubting who we are. We start doubting the vision. And by the time we're teens, you know, in the conversations I have with teenagers, you know, you ask, what do you want to do with your life? And you get this answer. Oh, huh? Yeah. You know, what happened? All that stuff happened. It got conditioned out of us. So we have to know that that's going to happen. I've found this to be true. And the older we get, we're all going to experience this. For every great idea you have ever had or ever will have, there will be a critic attached to it, proclaiming loudly that you can't do it. You won't do it. It's never going to work. It's a goofy idea. And if you let those people talk you out of your visions, they will every single time. And the vision, by the way, is the scary thing. I just wanted to highlight this too. The vision is the scary thing. It's the thing that is seems so big, so audacious, but it also excites us more than anything else, you know, but we entertain the idea like, oh my gosh, but what if it doesn't work out? We got to learn to play on the other side of the fence. What if it does work out? What if it works out in a way that is so much bigger than you even could have imagined? That's the things that are worth fighting for, putting our time and energy into. And we have to discover what that is. So as parents, if we see our kids kind of being on the wrong side of the fence there, doing some of that, you know, oh, I don't know. What do you think we could do or what could we say to really get them you know, inspired or just letting themselves to have a vision? Yeah, I think two things. Number one is be able to have a conversation with them and kind of interrogate the negativity. That's what I call it. You know, interrogate the negativity. Well, why do you think like that? What's driving that? Why do you think that you couldn't do that? Or why do you think it would be too scary to join that club or to take that internship or to go to college? What's really going on in your mind right now? Why do you think that way? Because we always have a reason why we think the way we do. We just sometimes don't assess it. And that's where we as parents can come in and kind of help them kind of suss that out a little bit. And then the second part is being able to give them the positivity and the encouragement to say, but look where you did this. Look where you you know were so strong. So where you've shown this kind of talent in this area. Look at that. We have to sometimes remind our kids how brilliant they actually are because they live in a tough world and they tend to forget it as we all do. But that's our job as a parent and as a leader is to point out their strong qualities, their bright characteristics, their talents, their abilities, so that they never forget that they have more good stuff than they need in a hundred lifetimes. They just need to learn how to use it. Talk to me a little bit about pain. You write about pain in the book, but you also say there's two types of pain. There's good pain and there's bad pain. So how can we tell the difference? We have a kid who's struggling or we're struggling. Is this healthy and helpful or is this not beneficial? And what do we do in either case? Yeah. Well, pain is the universal connector. We all go through it. We all experience it. But what we do with it is critically important to us moving forward. 
you know, whether as an adult or as a teenager. And the good pain is the pain that you suffer as you go through an experience because you're developing yourself, you're growing, you're achieving something. And sometimes it doesn't go quite the way that you think it's going to go. And there can be moments of pain, disappointment, stumbles, moment where we get criticized or we feel embarrassed, you know, over the thing that didn't work out or whatever it may be. That kind of pain is okay. That part of pain is part of growth. I mean, that's why they call them growing pains, right? Right. Yeah. Baby bird breaking out of a shell or a shoot breaking out of a seed. There's force there. There's discomfort there, but that's what leads to growth. The bad pain is pain where we just get stuck in the washing machine of emotion, where we're just ruminating, you know, where we're just recycling the pain over and over again. So pain, you know, in that regard, isn't useful. It just shuts us down. It makes us less creative, less willing to take that next step. But pain, when we're actually going somewhere and we're learning something, that's pain with purpose. And that is useful in life. We don't need to shy away from that. In my humble opinion, especially after all I've learned in my life so far, that's the kind of pain we actually need to embrace, you know, lean into it. Because once you get through the other side of that, you're going to be a better person for it. So how do we do that? How do we lean into it and embrace the pain when we feel like it's pain that we're moving forward? Yeah. Number one, have a great support structure. You know, that's why I say in the book is tribe up, ah, your own tribe. Yeah. you know, be with other warriors who are fighting the good fight to move forward, be a positive contributor in this life. We need that support. We all struggle. We all stumble. We all get scared. We're going to need that. And especially when we're going through painful moments, it's great to know, hey, I'm not doing this alone. I got people to the right of me, to the left of me, in front of me, behind me. I got this. I can do this. And so that's critically important. The other thing too is we have to practice dealing with that pain. You know, like there's moments where you kind of step your toe in the water and things don't work out and you kind of, you know, it's a small pain if it doesn't work out or you get criticized. That's like a small pain, but a big pain is where, you know, you put your heart into something, you work on it for a long time and then it just collapses. You know, that's like, those are bigger pains, you know, but the thing that we have to remember is we get better over time. If we have the right attitude about it is everything can lead to growth. If we have the right mindset for it, when we talk about dealing with fear, you know, and there's a lot of fear associated with pain, like, oh, if this doesn't work, I'm scared because it's going to hurt. Well, courage is what we need to exercise that value of courage, right? And courage is not the absence of fear. It's acting in the face of it. Mm. It's going, yes, I am scared, but I'm going to do this anyway, because I know that this is what I want. This is my direction. And being able to do that, you know, it's a critical important or critical piece in developing ourselves into who we can become. And, and I talk about that in the book, like the Plains tribe tradition of counting coup, where a warrior would face another warrior in combat and wouldn't strike them down. They would just touch them in live combat. And the reason why that was such an honor, even more so than striking an enemy down is because of what it required. The ultimate courage of standing face to face with what scares you, your enemy, your opponent, and saying, I am not afraid of you. I'm so not afraid of you. I'm not even going to strike you down or harm you. That takes guts, you know, and when we practice that towards the things that scare us, we become stronger, more and more courageous, and we become more resilient because even when things don't work out, we're like, you know, I got it. They didn't eat me. I didn't explode. I didn't light on fire. You know, yes, it was painful. It hurt, but this is all part of my growth. And when we have that kind of mindset through the ups and downs, we just keep getting better.
What about the opposite when we're stuck in that washing machine kind of uh, pain or really reliving something or ruminating on it or, or you know, we, our teenagers really kind of just can't let something go and it's in a really painful place like that. How can we help them through it or, or get through it if we're in that ourselves? Yeah, that's a great question. And we all go through it. When we catch ourselves ruminating, you know, when we're just miserable, we're starting to feel that beat down feeling is when we actually face what's going on inside of us emotionally and not run away from it. We get to ask ourselves some really important questions. Like number one, are these thoughts useful? Cause a lot of times the answer is no, I'm just repeating the same thing over and over again of why did this happen to me? And this is unfair and this is never going to work out or, you know, whatever rumination we're going through. So number one, are these thoughts useful? Number two, ask yourself, you know, what story am I telling myself about what just happened or what I'm going through? What story am I telling myself? Cause we're all storytellers. And sometimes we tell a terrible story of doom and gloom and shame and disaster, but we can also tell ourselves a better story of it's a growing experience. I learned a lot. It might not have worked out, but I got some great lessons to move forward. I'm going to be okay. And you know, that type of thing, we can tell ourselves a different story and whatever story we're telling ourselves, we get to ask another one too, is, is that story actually real or is that just fear showing up? So when we're able to do this, we're, we kind of can course correct ourselves and we can help our teenagers do that too. When we have those type of conversations, you know, of what's really going on here, you know, is that real or is that just, you know, fear and there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to be able to address it for what it is because fear is not reality. You know, that acronym, I, I don't know who originated it, but fear, and I love going back to this is false evidence appearing real. You know, it stands for, you know, for fear. And a lot of times that's exactly what it is. It's not real. It's the boogeyman. It's the monster under our bed. It's the shadow behind the corner. And when you face it head on, like that counting coup tradition, it, it kind of dissipates and you realize it's not as bad as we thought. It's not as big as we made it. And it's not as unrealistic as we've made it out to be. We're here today with DJ Vanis talking about how to help our teenagers succeed by tapping into their warrior spirit and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Stepping on what's important to our kids doesn't help us and it doesn't help them. You know, when we're not understanding what they value or what they think is important or what they enjoy, you know, we need to understand that. And we don't understand what that looks like until we have those conversations. But don't dismiss their dreams. Don't dismiss, you know, their joys. It doesn't improve the relationship and actually has the opposite effect. If you're making commitments to each other to spend time together or to do events or activities, you know, being able to have that two-way accountability teaches responsibility. It teaches maturity because that's what we want in our relationships. It's like, if, if we're going to be in a, a relationship, it's like, you need to be accountable for what you're doing and saying, and I need to do it as well. And we kind of hold each other up in that commitment. We have to get creative. We're all busy. And it's easy to just stay on the surface, the surfacey stuff. Oh, how is school today? How is this? You know, it's tough because that's the, we think that there's a positive there and there is a touch, you know, there's a connection there, but it's not as deep and fulfilling as asking, you know, different questions. Like what was the best part of your day today? Or asking, you know, I would ask my girls, like what happened to you this week? That was hilarious. Ah, Just to start kind of kickstart in a different direction, you know, or we have to get creative with that, but going deeper. And that's why I bring in the book is, you know, I hate talking about the weather. Yeah. It's just the most boring surfacey thing. You know, it, it's so funny to watch people talk about weather for 25 minutes. It's like, 
oh my gosh, you're killing me right now. You know, it's like, ask different questions and you get different answers. You know, it's like, what are you reading right now? Have you watched a video that really got you inspired or excited? What's the new hobby that you're picking up? I mean, just creating anything, you know, that gets you below the surface to where you're swimming in deeper waters. And it's a lot more fun down there. It's a lot more colorful. There's a lot more going on than just staying on the surface and saying, you know, how was school today? Mm. We have to do that. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.